October can feel like crunch time, but the cooler weather and nostalgia that always comes around this time of year creates a great opportunity to bring your team together. If I can offer one culture tip for this moment, it would be to create bonding office rituals. At rebel.com, we start each week with an all-hand stand-up Monday morning meeting. Instead of just asking people to take turns standing in a circle, we throw around a basketball. It's a great energizing way to start your week. The whole thing is recorded by someone wearing an orange-branded Rebel construction hat with a GoPro attached. Anyone who misses the meeting can catch up later on. The construction hat actually comes from another weekly ritual that we have at Rebel, Friday lunches. Every Friday, we recognize birthdays, work anniversaries, and special cultural announcements like our next corporate 10K, and we also hand out high fives. These little easy rituals brought us together as a team and definitely bring a little energy, fun, and focus to our work. Until next month, this has been Rob Villeneuve, CEO of Rebel.com and Startup Canada Fellow for Culture and Engagement. Startup Canada and Wolf Blast Wines have partnered to celebrate the regional winners of the 2016 Startup Canada Awards. Join us this fall in Waterloo, Montreal, Edmonton and Vancouver for Wolf Blast Wine tasting receptions and award ceremonies to toast this year's winners. Visit StartupAward.ca to register for your free ticket today. One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today. Disruption, investment, work-life balance. Delving deep on the topics that matter most for entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett, the CEO at coachingbyrockstars.com. Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of Canadian entrepreneurship. On the show, we will fill you in on the trends, opportunities, and possibilities of your next steps as an entrepreneur. And we're going to have amazing conversations on advancing entrepreneurial success and growth in Canada. If you are a regular Startup Canada podcast listener, Welcome back and thanks to any of our new listeners. Remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast on the iTunes stores and then visit startupcan.ca to become a member of Startup Canada and get access to mentors, resources, support and opportunities to start and grow your business. Well, look, we are just thrilled to have as our guest today, Jeff Cates. He's the president of Intuit Canada, the leading developer of business and personal finance management solutions, including QuickBooks and TurboTax. 
And also, without a doubt, I've seen this man in action and his team. He is a huge supporter of Canada's startup community. On today's show, we're going to talk about building a culture of innovation, improving productivity, leveraging the cloud, startup finance and finance literacy, effective leadership, and the role of anchor companies in fostering a national entrepreneurial culture. With over 18 years of experience in business development, marketing, and sales, Jeff is an innovation champion leading into its strategic growth in Canada. Previously, Jeff led consumer and enterprise divisions for tech giants like Apple Canada and Hewlett Packard. Under Jeff's leadership, Intuit has risen to become one of the best employers in Canada. No doubt on that one. Topping the charts as a leading employer champion women and has grown to encompass over 400 employees working to simplify financial and business life. Jeff, great to have you on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I get, I've got wonderful script writers yes. and they, they do a really good job. Well, like you've, you know, I've, yeah, it's a, it's a great intro and you know, it's, it's, it, it ain't bragging if it's true. You've done some, uh, some great things in your life. Can you give us uh, you know, a, a little bit of overview of your, your career path over those 18 years and what is kind of, what has kind of guided your career shifts as you've, uh, as you've gone through that? Sure. Uh, well, I started off as a small business in university. I went to McMaster and a couple of other uh, fellow students and I decided that we were going to start up a market research business uh, for small businesses in the GTA area. And mm-hmm. I thought I was headed towards that path. And then an opportunity to came, came up to join Hewlett Packard. And uh, that uh, took me on a completely different path, and I, I've never gone back to the small business, although the, the draw has been there uh, uh, every five years or so I get the itch. But the, mm. my view now is, although I, I'm no longer a small business, I, I'm now blessed to be in a role where I can help small businesses be successful, and, and that's pretty cool too. So I, I went from small business to HP. I spent 15 years at Hewlett Packard in a variety of different roles. In the end, I ran the consumer division and the e-shopping business. And then uh, my boss went over to Apple and said, uh, hey, come on over, run commercial, run consumer, just come, uh, which was great and a great opportunity to learn from you know, an incredible company, very different uh, go-to-market strategy than a company like Hewlett Packard. So that was a, a great learning, but also taught me a lot about leadership and what I liked and what I didn't like about both companies and, and helped set the basis for when Intuit came a calling and said, hey, come take us global, uh, help uh, create products for Canadians, by Canadians in Canada and um, be an innovation sandbox for the company. And uh, really the experience I had up to that point um, really helped set the, set the, I guess, the leadership platform, if you will, that uh, I, I work off of today. Well, I, I know I want to talk about uh, that, that, that nugget, that gold nugget you just referenced about so, learn some good things, learn some bad things about leadership styles and and so on. And I know we're going to talk about that later on in the in the podcast. For those of you that uh, that heard him say that and say, "Oh my God, I hope they talk about that," we're going to talk about that because I've got an interest in it, and I know you guys do too. Well, look, uh, you know, some of your st- biggest strategic shifts have been launching QuickBooks Online and supporting entrepreneurs on the cloud, opening up Quick. 
QuickBooks as a as a platform for app developers and startup companies and and really just that whole national entrepreneurship ecosystem through uh, through Startup Canada. What what motivated you to position Intuit Canada in this ecosystem? Which I'm very glad you did. I'm a firm believer that entrepreneurs are going to save the world. And so you know what motivated you? But how does it fit within you know your overall strategy? Because you're you're a leader, but you're also a businessman. There's got to be a strategic fit there. Sure. Yeah. Well, it um, in part on a personal level, it stemmed back to that. Uh, hey, if I'm not going to be a small business, how do I help small businesses be successful? Um, and also the the insight that there are a lot of organizations out there helping small businesses get started, um, but there are fewer that are actually helping them stay started. Um, right. and, and the stats can data showing that close to 50% will fail within the first five years is a pretty sobering fact. And I think more energy needs to be put towards how do we help those that have that, that gumption to get started, make sure that we're helping them be successful. So that's really kind of what got, got me personally started on the work that we've done here on the company side, of course, although we, we are big into philanthropy and giving back to the community, um, there is a, you know, a, a rationale, which is our goal is to help small businesses be successful. And when we give ourselves that broader mandate to, um, uh, to, to, to play that bigger role, it causes us to think differently around thought leadership and, and initiatives we can do to help Canadian small businesses be successful as mm. the, as the leaders in financial management software with QuickBooks, of course, the more small businesses that start and the more that are successful, then inherently that's going to help us because um, uh, because it helps grow the category and and uh, continues to position into it as a uh, strong supporter of small businesses. Yeah, very cool. Well, it's uh, there's no doubt about it. There's I like that sustainability piece. And I'm curious, you said 50%. I'm hearing stats like up to 80%. Is uh, is uh, is uh, why such a discrepancy in that in that data? I mean, it's, it's still high, by the way, whether it's 50% or 80%. But um, I've never uh, uh, where's where's your data coming from from the from the 50% perspective? Uh, we use StatsCan data, and okay. uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right, but I, I may be off in terms of the the time frame, three to five years. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a, it still is a high number, and it's uh, you know very 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 simple ways to help people with to uh, to get past that five years, and it's just through proper guidance and in a way that they understand and they can take time to ultimately implement into their their business because they're busy people. Mm-hmm. Well, look, you're uh, you're you're clo- you're you're a pro in global and strategic expansion, and most of that has come down to sales and marketing. Um, what are your top tips on strategic expansion and sales and marketing for uh, for our guests? today yeah we've we've had an interesting well all three companies are in different spots uh hp and apple of course are our global brands apple in particular is a master of of global branding and and being able to launch products across hundreds of countries in in a very short period of time or a hundred country countries in a short period of time um whereas into it we're, we're completely at a different level of especially when I first came in of how do we expand and in what way. And we've, we've deviated a lot over the years. And, and so one of my learnings was one, prepare to be flexible. Uh, you don't know uh, what experience lies ahead as you go global. Um, for example, in our case, we had intended to do a rollout strategy of specific countries with very uh, set 
go-to-market team and product teams that we would plant into a country before we expanded. And then um, we got encouragement from our board of, hey, think bigger. And uh, think, you know, think 100 countries in kind of, you know, 100 days type of thing. Um, and that took us down a completely different path. And then we ended up coming all the way back to, no, you've got to go one country at a time. Uh, because in our case, each country is very, very unique in, mm-hmm. in the categories that we play in. And so spending the time to really understand that country and optimize it for that local market is incredibly important. So there is a, a flexibility, you know, be prepared to be flexible. Two, one of the learnings for us was um, go, if you're going country by country, go in and, and test out your love metrics early. Identify what those are and start with one customer and then build on that to a cohort and then continue to iterate that until you feel like, hey, we've landed those core KPIs, those 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 love metrics that must be successful before we try to scale. Often, you see, you see, yeah. you, sorry to interrupt. Have you called it yeah. love metrics? Yeah. So you know, it depends on on perhaps what your offer is, but things like the net promoter score, uh, the active use rate. Um, the verbatim type feedback you're getting on the offering, um, those are all really, really important. If you're not nailing uh, key items like that, then you shouldn't be looking to scale uh, right. because you haven't solved for the local market. So mm-hmm. we call them love metrics. They're not, they're not always the same thing. It kind of depends on the product and depends on the market. But be clear what those are before you jump to the, now how am I going to scale this thing? Because right. you, you can throw a lot of resources and energy and most importantly time towards something only to find out, man, we, we mm. didn't nail the basics. Um, right. So let's start there. So, you know, I've always, one of the the great analogies I love is I say business is a dating game. That's all it is. And you got to understand what the needs are of the person you're going to date. And so I love the love metrics because I'm going to actually add that to that whole component. But, you know, the, the, the date in Brazil is going to be, their needs are going to be different than the date in, uh, in, uh, in Canada, the date in, uh, in the UK. And that's ultimately what you're saying. Understand those key elements that really make the customer want to hang out with you first. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that extends not only from the product experience, um, but it also extends to the whole experience, the go-to-market, the care, your, your support experience, all of those, you really need to understand what, what the local market requirement is. In some cases, you'd be willing to say, hey, let's, let's go for scale and, and be okay with lower conversion metrics and, and lower, lower net promoter scores. But gosh, in my experience, in most cases, you're better to go slow to go fast and, mm. and really nail uh, nail market by market. Mm. What's, what was your toughest market that you had in your colossal mistake? You say, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Well, it, it was us as a team. We entered into France and we thought uh, we had a great product from, from Quebec that we could carry over there with some slight tweaks. And we got really close. We hired a go-to-market team. We got really close to launch. And then as we got closer, we started to beta test the offering. Feedback came back that like, no, this you're missing some core compliance issues here. Um, France operates very differently than any of the other countries that we operate in. And we basically lost a year. We had to go back and, mm. and retool the offering. Um, so meanwhile, we had a go-to-market team hired that was chomping at the bit to go out and do great things, but didn't have a product to sell. So in hindsight, you know, going in, really understanding the, the market and the product needs and, and putting the product team in early and getting, nailing the love metrics before we jump to let's go hire a bunch of people to go take, you know, take over the world would have been the right approach. 
Yeah, love it. I love it. And I, I also love your reference to the fact sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. It is so true. We uh, to just take stake as to where you are so that you can really go twice the speed to catch yeah. up to where you were going to be anyway. So yeah. um, one of my mentors, um, he doesn't know he's my mentor, but I sure uh, hang out with him a lot. It's Richard Branson. And uh, one of the ways in which he keeps his his uh, companies entrepreneurial is, is that, well, this is in one of his books anyway, he said it, is that when they reach 100 people, he breaks it apart. And he brings it back down to 50 people into two different divisions. And this is the way he encourages the, the entrepreneurial thinking, the creativity, and so on. You know, you've, have, you've got hundreds of employees, yet I really admire you, how you operate with that startup culture. Um, you know, what have been the keys to keeping that startup um, occurring, happening, while building, uh, you know, an organization with uh, hundreds of employees in it? Yeah, we have a, a couple of principles that help with that. Um, part part of it is just the mindset overall of leadership and and how you communicate that to employees to say, hey, we expect you to be innovating. Um, we put employees first in terms of our stakeholders, employees mm-hmm. first, followed by customers, followed by shareholders. Um, and by orienting our employees of, hey, we expect you to innovate. And here's some frameworks that will help you think through innovation. But we expect you innovating on behalf of customers because you doing that will drive um, shareholder success is, is where it starts. But outside of that, there's some kind of core principles like um, our team should be two pizza teams. In other words, a team should be um, big enough that or small enough that two pizzas can feed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in many ways, what we'll do is um, for bigger projects where we're like, hey, there's a growth opportunity that is an, a new business opportunity or something we don't understand, we'll create mission teams that have a, a group of product, marketing, sales, uh, support folks on that small two pizza team going out, looking at that problem, figuring out, you know, how do they solve that end to end? And that's been really, really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. Um, another would be, we're big fans of the Lean Startup, um, Eric right. Reese's book. And how mm-hmm. do you use the, that type of mindset of lean testing to get behavioral based data? to truly help you understand how customers are responding to your offers, whether that be a product or um, a marketing experience. Um, we're big believers in that as well. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, and when, when you say, uh, you know, you encourage innovation, uh, I would presume along that process, you encourage, um, you know, failing forward. Is that fair to say that? Yes. Yeah. You know, my, my perspective is that, you know, a solid testing plan of what's the hypothesis, you know, what's the insight, what's the hypothesis, um, how do I break down a test in a lean way to prove out that hypothesis is what's really important. It's got to be grounded in those things. If it results in that, yeah, we just proved out the hypothesis was not correct um, or, or that, yeah, there's there is an opportunity here, there is an opportunity here. That's what really matters. We shouldn't get too hung up on the actual outcome. What we should get Mm -hmm. hung up on is, are we focused on big problems? And um, are are we, have we broken that problem down into bite-sized chunks that we can truly test and measure our ability to, you know, really identify if we can solve that problem? And then, um, you know, break that down into, is there actual actions we can take that will help, help, uh, address the core issue? Very cool. 
Very cool. Well, now you're the president and the president has a lot of, uh, a lot of things you have to do on a daily basis. How do you spend your time on culture versus strategy as a uh, president? Is there uh, you know, a, a day you pick Mondays, I'm going to focus on culture and tomorrow I'm going to focus on strategy. How does, uh, how does Jeff operate in that regard? Well, I think they're kind of commingled, but I, I do believe that there is dedicated time for both. Um, I, you know, I'm fortunate in that uh, I, I run the Canadian operations into a Canada, but I, I'm part of Intuit. And you know, I, I, I've shared kind of comments back to Scott Cook, our, our founder, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, wonderful news, great, you know, we're doing well and great place to work, and thank you so much." Uh, and his message back is, "You know, we we bring you to the track and we give you the shoes, but it's your race to run." And and mm. I I love that. You know, I appreciate the the humbleness of of that statement. Um, but the fact is that Intuit has this core DNA that you see across all of the countries that we operate in. And so it's a great basis to work from with great constructs and principles and values that, that really guide each of the organizations. And it's the reason why we do so well um, relative to our peers in, in each of the countries that, that we're in. On the, on the kind of more local level in terms of strategy versus um, uh, kind of operations, you know, I think um, I, I think there is, you know, time obviously when you are planning out your three year and your one year, we're, we're currently in it, um, for our planning cycle. And there are meetings where you have reviews back to your strategy. Are we aligned to the strategy? And then there are meetings that are very operationally focused. You know, are we on the road? Do we, you know, what have we learned? How is that going to impact the forecast? What actions do we need to take? And so, um, we break our how we operate our business down um, into those those various chunks. And culture, I think, plays a role in all those meetings. How you show mm -hmm. up in an operational meeting and the mindset you create matters. Um, how you set big goals and motivate teams in planning really matters. Um, and then I think, of course, there are there is dedicated time to what makes us great and how will we you know, what, what could make us even better and how are teams feeling and how do we reward success and how do we reward innovation and taking dedicated time with your staff is really important to do that too. And so usually for me, that's, that's done in staff meetings or senior leadership type meetings, um, or other specific conversations where we've got a group of individuals, um, focused on a particular problem that we want to address that would make us a better place to work. A lot of stuff. So what, uh, I mean, busy, busy, a lot of activity going on. Do you have any recommended productivity uh, hacks that, uh, uh, tools that you would recommend to our guests that, uh, well, work for you, might not work for them, but you find, oh man, I've, I couldn't live without these, uh, on my uh, phone or my, my, uh, my laptop or whatever. Uh, no easy cheats there, quite frankly. <laughs> I think, you know, to me, what's most important is surround yourself with, with smart people that right. uh, are better than you and uh, rely on them and make sure that you have clear goals as a team and that you're cascading those goals down within the organization. Um, occasionally, I'll, you know, I've got multiple business units within Canada. There are different segments that we serve, accountants, small businesses, and consumers. And every once in a while, you'll have one business that's not doing as well, and you step back and you look at it, and it's usually the basics. It's, it's either 
we didn't set the right goals or we didn't communicate the goals effectively and we didn't ladder those down within the organization. So when it comes down to it, surround yourself with smart people that are better than you. Make sure you've set the right aspirational goals. Make sure your organization's aligned to those goals. Very cool. Well, and one of those goals is the uh, is the whole area of uh, being a leader, empl- leading employer in Canada, uh, and the leading employer for women in particular. Can you tell us about the initiatives? And you talk about values and uh, and focus for the business that have launched uh, you guys to build a vibrant culture and create an inclusive, empowering environment for women. I was fortunate to talk to Tracy Scarlett, who runs uh, the Center for uh, Women Entrepreneurship in in Alberta. And we talked about, you know, the difference between guys and, and girls. And so and when you're bringing in uh, for in, in entrepreneurship, so when you're bringing them into your environment, how do you uh, how do you create that inclusive and empowering environment? Yeah, well, to, to step back, we we measure internal success. You know, I mentioned that we, we focus on employees first. There's two, I guess, quantitative tools we use. One is an internal employee engagement score that we use every year, sometimes twice a year. And we take that really, really seriously, which shows up in in um, uh, participation rates greater than 90%. So that's really important to us. The second is we use external benchmarking. In Canada's case, we use Great Place to Work, that, that particular survey. Sometimes we use AON Hewitt to complement that. Um, and that gives us a good proxy on how are we doing against our peers. It also gives us the ability to step back and say, what are the characteristics of companies that continue to do well in that top 10, top 20 um, set of of companies? And what we found is that there are common traits um, in terms of uh, clarity of vision. Do, you know, do they have a clear vision and a mission? Do they have values that they live? Um, the strategies that they've set for whatever businesses they choose to compete in, are they reinforcing those and laddering throughout the organization? So those are kind of like the bare bones. Um, you probably you probably have to have that to be in the top fifty, let alone mm. the top ten. But the top ten. Um, seem to go above and beyond that. They definitely invest in education of their employees. They invest in the cult, like in the work environment itself, um, right? They're the ones that that are more progressive, not not just cubicle farms, but they're investing more in creating a, an environment that creates energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the third is that they connect with their employees or they enable their employees to connect in a way that goes beyond work. And so in our case, we have a variety of what we call networks, um, of which one of them is the Intuit Women's Network. Um, But there are also, you know, India Network, Muslim Network, Gay Pride Network. Um, There's a variety of them. And what I love about these is it truly does allow people to connect at a different level that's beyond their job and be able to put energy behind passions that they have outside of the workforce, but inside the workforce, um, which is which has been fantastic. It allows a, a, a connection to the employees at a, a completely, you know, completely different level than just pure the job can do. When, uh, when you say a network, Jeff, sorry to interrupt. When you say a network uh, for women, for Muslims, and so on, what do you mean by a network just for sure. our audience? Yeah, sure. So uh, in the case of the Intuit Women's Network, um, each of at least the major sites, I suspect probably all, all um, would have a uh, a group that focuses specifically on creating awesome environment uh, for women to work uh, at Intuit. Um 
but they'll do, you know, they execute different ways across different sites. But um, usually what I've seen in the case of the two Canadian sites, Edmonton and Mississauga, is um, they'll pick inspirational women, uh, both inside the company and outside the company that can be a mentee or can help set vision for um, for both women and men, quite frankly. It's interesting how many men are part of the, the women's network. Nice. Um, They'll also talk about things like, hey, this is how women operate versus men and, and just mm-hmm. creating awareness as much for the women as for men as well uh, to say, hey, we actually operate differently. And, you know, here's what our life is like and here's what your life is like. And um, in part, that's that's to create awareness amongst women of, hey, you're not in this alone. This is, you know, we all have these these kind of demands on our time or our life runs this way. And that's mm-hmm. OK. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a role there. And then we also get a ton of energy from um, looking, get, getting inspiration from um, small business owners, entrepreneurs, which in general we get energy from, but in particular for seeing women that uh, have been successful in starting up small businesses. Because uh, again, that ties back to our goal of helping uh, small businesses in Canada be success- successful. Very cool. Well, um, now building and operating uh, your business online has opened up a whole whole uh, uh, vast arena of opportunity for entrepreneurs, but what drove QuickBooks to go online in the first place? And, you know, what are your plans to encourage developers and startups to build on the, on the QuickBooks uh, platform? It's really been an evolution for us. We, we started off really as an app company. You know, if you look at um, even today, many of the offerings that we have, like Profile, which is our ProTax solution in Canada, uh, or even TurboTax, um, they're very much apps, right? They, they solve a particular problem and they solve it well. Uh, QuickBooks used to be the same. You know, QuickBooks Desktop, although there was some data we would share with other apps, for the most part, it was a standalone app or a standalone um, closed ecosystem with um, other services like payroll and payments integrated. About, I don't know, three or four years ago, we shifted our mindset to say, we really shouldn't be an app company, we should be a platform company. It's more about the data that we have access to that can help solve problems that we should really focus on. And QuickBooks Online sits on top of that data platform. So does QuickBooks Online Payroll. So does QuickBooks Online Merchant Services. Um, Mm. But so do a thousand now, a thousand other apps. Um, These other apps Mm -hmm. all can leverage elements of that data and the the problems we solve within QuickBooks to solve problem other problems that we haven't we haven't tackled or solve them better. And so it's been a real shift in terms of how we think about success and how we think about how we design our offerings and and how we open data to um to quite frankly to competitors as well as to partners very cool so you had a big pivot it it was a massive and it's really you know really dramatically changed how the company operates um and it couldn't have happened at a better time because we were we were rolling out to countries with desktop, but it was really really hard. Once mm. we said, "Hey, let's build let's build as a cloud offering. Let's build services as opposed to a you know monolithic uh, app structure." Um, that those two things have been incredibly important to our success of being able to roll out rapidly across the countries that we've expanded to. Was it was it one of those things, Jeff, that was so obvious that nobody was seeing that 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 was the the direct way to, or the, the correct way to go? Um, 
we've had QuickBooks online in the U.S. for probably 14 years or so. But right. for many years, you know, it's cl- classic disruption um, challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got this big, stable business with a high net promoter score. You've got a, a partner network, in our case, accountants that love the offering. It's been refined year after year after year. Um, and it's a great business. And, and with relatively high share, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of courage to say, gosh, hey, there's something new coming down the pipe. Let's go disrupt ourselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it so, does. Yeah. So it, it actually took years, I think, really before that happened. But in part, that was technology catching up and, and our ability to, to really think differently around how we use technology to, to solve the problems. It also took us, it, it took us taking a hard look in the mirror of who we were competing against and what, what the market really was. We were very focused on North America and um, stepping back saying, gosh, if you look at the new world, the competitors are all over. In fact, many of them in our case actually are in Canada. Um, um, so there's a, there's a different set of competitors coming down the pipe and everybody's playing for the global game, not, not for, you know, one country versus the other. And so that really causes us to think differently around, man, if, if, if it's a global opportunity and it's a, you know, um, you know, there's a, there's a heavy push to go out and make sure we're being successful on a global pop, you know, on a global stage. That that causes you to think in a different way as well. It's not just disrupt your current business. It's like, man, if we solve that, boy, we could we could solve problems for people around the world, um, which is a great way to help, you know, in, internally kind of offset the disrupt the short or win yeah. the long. Yeah, well, ultimately, that's your soul, my friend. That's the culture you're creating. And if it was just about the product, it wouldn't be special, the journey. So on on that note, let's shift back to you. But I want to talk a bit about you and get into that leadership conversation that we we touched on a little bit earlier. Can you you name a person um, who has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? And I'm not not asking you to name the the number one person, but name one person that has had an impact. And and what, what, what particularly was something that resonated about their leadership that now now bridges into uh, the type of leader you were. Well, there's been a lot over the years, and I've had a lot of uh, mentors and continued to. I you know I, I learn a ton from others. Um, the the one that you know was really instrumental early on in my career that that sticks though is there was a, a guy uh, Gary that uh, ran our quality assurance group, and I was new new to HP. Um, I I had. You know, in my mind, it was like, oh, I was going to become uh, the CEO of HP Canada. And, and, you know, I, I didn't know when, but that's where I was headed. And I was a yeah, ton of energy to make that happen. And uh, there was, I'd come in a, in a marketing, low-level marketing role. And the marketing manager role within the medical division came open. And I knew it was coming open. And I was like, hell-bent, I was going to win that thing. Um, and this Gary sat down and said, hey, listen. I can tell you right now, you're not going to get that role. Um, you're not ready. You, you, you've got a lot more experience to um, to build before you make that leap. But here's my guess. The person that's going to come in is going to do it for about two years, and he's going to groom you, and then you're going to get that role. And then let me tell you what's going to happen. 
and then you're going to get stuck because you have not built a base to work from. You've got marketing yeah. experience in one industry. You're going to move up quick. You're going to get used to the type of food you can order um, <laughs> at, at, in that position. And when you say, gosh, I need to go learn product or I need to go learn operations or I need to go learn sales, um, you're going to find it hard because you don't have a ton of experience to bring and you're probably going to have to readjust your lifestyle around it. And so his big push was um, take the time to build out your platform and your experience that will help you later on in your career. And I've thought about that a lot over the years, both me personally, but also as I look at other you know, people entering into their careers of just saying, you know, how important that is that don't be such in such a rush to climb the ladder, focus on the experience that you can learn and 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 pull in as many opportunities, both either in your role or through other things, like in our case, the networks where you can get different experience or mm-hmm. you know, job shadowing or helping helping out in different areas where the, the company says, hey, we need some people to go, you know, take on this big, hairy problem, you know, find ways to get as much experience as possible. And that in turn will open doors for you later on, whether it's continuing to move up in the organization you're in or starting up your own small business where you really do have to have a ton of different experience to draw upon to, to really be successful. And as you've taken that, uh, I love it, Gary, this guy named Gary, I love it. It's so cool. You know, you know, it's the, it's the Richard Branson's of the world. It's the, uh, it's the John Maxwell's of the world. No, there's a guy named Gary that impacted me. And I absolutely, I had a guy named Peter and he did the same sort of thing with me. So I, I love that, uh, that memory walk we just went on. Um, what's, uh, what's, uh, from a, a leader's perspective, as you continue into the world, I can understand what you're doing now internally is something that's important to you what uh, what's the biggest challenge you face as a as a leader in today's world um you know i think the the the, the big tension always is can we move faster are we moving fast enough <laughs> um are we moving too fast and that's the i feel like that's kind of the constant tension of um, not moving so fast that you lose lose the teams, and um, you know move beyond what they're they're capable of, and then kind of stre- stretching the team too too far. And so it's that you know make sure that you've got the right priorities and that you're focused on the big things, and you and you do set aspirational goals, but then make sure that you're you're really being conscious of what the health of your organization is. And, um, what, what, what is reasonable for them to take on, you know, if you set goals that are too high that cause a break, then obviously that's not constructive. So set goals that are going to, to create a bend and and create a stretch, but, um, be realistic in terms of how quickly you can move. Um, and obviously there's just a natural tension there always as leaders of Mm -hmm. what is that optimal point that you can, you can operate at. Yeah, very cool. Well, look, Jeff, Intuit Canada has been leading the way in supporting entrepreneurs and in increasing their financial literacy through boot camps with uh, with groups such as Startup Canada's communities, online training, network of trusted advisors, and just investing in startup uh, startup hubs. You know, there's there obviously is a keen interest in financial literacy for what it is that you do, and you know, is is that a is that a fun fundamental void 
that's happening, particularly in the startup world, as to why fifty percent are are failing. Do you, um, you know, why is it so important that uh, for financial literacy for your focus in your business? We started probably about three years ago. Once we said, "Hey, let's take on this broader mandate of how do we help Canadian small businesses be successful," our starting point was going out to small business owners and saying, "If you were to go back and do it all over again." what would you do differently? Or said another way, um, if you were going to advise somebody else that's starting out now, what would you advise them to do? And the number one thing that they came back with is that they wish they had spent time on financial management skills earlier. Because once you get started, it gets harder. Once you have to manage cash flow, it gets harder. Once you have to make sure that you've got money in the bank to pay your employees or to fund the growth that you hope to have um, or need a loan, it gets harder. And so that kind of set us on this path of, man, if that's the one thing we could do to help improve the success rate in Canada of small businesses, then you know th- that that's a worthy cause. In our case, it's it's aligned with in many ways what we do, right? We we create technology that helps simplify people's financial lives so profoundly that they would never go back to the old way. Um, we play a strong role of helping to enable accountants to save time and and play that advisor role that will in turn help small businesses be successful. So we we play a role there, both from a technology and from a connection standpoint. And so together, those those kind of two drivers have really kind of pushed us to say, there's a lot we can do here and it's a worthy cause. And out of that, there's kind of three areas that I've kind of formed an opinion on that we really need to focus on to to really continue to move the needle on improving financial literacy. Mm, well, it's when you when when I'm hearing about failures, I'm hearing about the fact is that they didn't know how to read the simple profit and loss statement, didn't understand cash flow, didn't understand about tax remittances and you know those simple things in a big scheme, but of course very complex as you get deeper down. So I, for one, am a and a big fan of that focus on financial literacy, and there's many methodologies by which you can deliver that uh, that focus on on dealing with that issue. You and what you guys are obviously doing. Jeff, uh, it's been 38 minutes since we started and it feels like 12. Uh, <laughs> it's been such a great conversation with you. Um, but the last word is going to be yours, my friend. Uh, do you have any final comments, observations? Uh, uh, um, it's just reflections on your journey that you would like to convey. We've got a national audience here that uh, that is appreciative of what you're doing. I'm really looking for uh, those last words of advice. You know, I I feel like my success, uh, if I've had any, has been based on the people that are you know I, I'm surrounded by, and so I you know I'd, I'd say that you know that's really really important um, for folks is make sure that um, the company you keep is going to continue to make you you better, and and can help make an awesome place, work environment for your employees to work in. And so I I think that's really, really important. For small businesses in particular, make sure that that extends to the help that you get, whether that be your mentor network or connecting to an accountant that can help you with managing your business or um, wherever else you're getting the support to help you really realize your dream 
it's just so important. It's so hard to do things on your own. And so ensuring that you've got the the largest and, and best um, support network network around you is incredibly important. Well, that's great stuff, Jeff. And uh, keep doing your magic and uh, and uh, the best to you and your team. And thanks again for your continued support of, uh, of Startup Canada's journey. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Jeff Cates. He's the president of Intuit Canada on effective leadership in creating an innovative and inclusive culture. Thanks, Rivers. Thank you for joining us today on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every Canadian. Want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content? Well, then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events. And my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm your host. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at Rivers Corbett. I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. That's not a new idea about uh, about share capital and so on. Why does it why is it working within your organization? Look, I think that most companies award share options, and the way that a share option works is that you know, normally, if you're a public company, you get the option at thirty dollars, and if in in a year's time or two or three years time when it vests, you only get the gain in the share price. And 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 in the U.S., you actually have to trigger. It has to be triggered by a big sales event happening before you get any of that money, and that's not our focus. As I said, this is more like a share. This is a grant to the shares. We're saying, you know, we'll instead of paying you ex, you know, a, a big bonus, we'll take that money and we'll give you the sh- the real shares in the company. Mm. And um, and that's different, right? When you have that, that that share certificate that says, these are my shares. And when you see that financial and you come into the board meeting and you see this is what the company is doing and this is the strategy, um, I really think that, that that's different. And maybe we can do it because we're a private company. You know, it doesn't doesn't really count the same when it's, oh, it's a public share. I can sell it or buy it. It doesn't feel the same. Um, so I think that that helps. And then it is a little bit of a cultural thing as well. Like we are very, very inclusive in the company, maybe to a fault where <laughs> if we have issues in the company, like everybody's going to know about it. If we could be doing better over there, you know, um, you know, even crazy little things like what we do with our, um, you know, phone bills, for example, is we just, we take the summary page up for everybody in the company and we send out a PDF, you know, once a month, which has, you know, people's phone bills, totals of the phone bills on it. And yep. we just, it manages itself. Nobody's going to be yep. checking on your phone bill. Yep. You know, we're just going to go, oh, Neil, you know, somebody will be looking at my phone bill and going, Neil, why is yours a thousand bucks? That's just not right. Yeah. You know, and that's how we are. That, so you got to be open. That's freaking brilliant. No, and, and, I, and I, I appreciate the spirit behind it because you know what? That's what family would do. They pull the, I have family of five. We pull them together and say, look, this is the phone bill. This is what's happening. Do we think it's right? And what are we going to do about it? I love that spirit. 